Uh, okay, for the three of you who are awake, thank you for responding to that. We'll try that a second time. Good morning. Hey, there we go. That was a lot more fun. Um, so the State of Theology came out yesterday. This is a biannual report. Before we dive into the sermon, I want to I point something out for you all. This is a every other year uh, study that's done on, on the state of the American church. And this year, they found that 48% of evangelical Christians, we're not talking about that sinful world. We're talking about the, the church. We're talking about evangelical Christians. 48% of evangelical Christians believe that God doesn't know everything and that he changes. 65% of evangelical Christians believe that we are born innocent and in standing before the Lord. 43% of evangelical Christians believe that Jesus wasn't God. Biblical illiteracy is killing us. You guys have no idea, or hopefully you do, what a blessing and a privilege it is that we have one Bible study that just started this week and another Bible study starting in a few weeks that is as simple as opening Scripture and reading it and learning from it and being shaped by it. I, for the life of me, cannot fathom a reason why you would choose to not engage in that. I, I really can't. I mean, these are Bible studies as simple as, okay, God, here's your word. We prayerfully submit to it. Teach us from it. And we see that biblical illiteracy is killing the church. We've said this with every single Bible study. It holds true for this one. The women's one just started this past week. It's not too late to join. It's never too late to join. If there are obstacles to you engaging in it, talk to us. We will do everything in our power to remove that obstacle. We had, what, 17, 18 women there Wednesday night? You can't tell me that one of them possibly doesn't live within five minutes of you and could bring you. I mean, talk to us if there are obstacles. If you need somebody to watch your kids, talk to us. We want you there. Men, the men's study is coming up in October. Carve it out now. Fight for that spot. We need to know Scripture. I get real fired up about this in case you can't tell. Uh, we, need, we need to know it, guys, because the evangelical Christian community doesn't. And the only thing that's going to change that survey result is God and his word. And so we've got to pursue it. We have to be in relentless pursuit of it as a church. And it is a blessing and a privilege that we have a team of women and a team of men who are committed to teaching scripture at these studies. This morning, speaking of scripture, we're going to be continuing in uh, 2 Peter. We're going to be in 2 Peter 1, starting in verse 3 and 4. Last week we looked at 1 and 2, where Peter kind of set the context for the letter. If you missed it, I'll give a real quick recap since we're still in the beginning. So this is written to the same group of believers as 1 Peter, but whereas 1 Peter was written to a group of believers facing external threat, threat from the external world, and Peter talks about that. In the second letter, this same group of believers is facing internal threat. They're facing false teachers. They're facing false teaching creeping in and undermining the church. And so Peter writes the second letter in chapter 3, says, I write you a second time. So he writes to the same group of people, 
But this time he's talking about, hey, this is how you know truth. This is how you stand for truth. This is how you grow in truth. This is how you recognize false teachings and fight against that. And so that's the context for this. Uh, If you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's word out of respect for our king. And this is from the ESV. It's also on the screen. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you. For your word. We thank you for the treasure that it is and the privilege that it is to come to it and to be cut by it. Lord, we ask that now you would wield your word, your sword, as only you can. Refine us, cut away anything that is not holiness, conform us to Christ. God, we so desperately need you to lead us and to teach us. Get rid of me up here. Hide me entirely. May these be your words. You are good. You are great. You are worthy of praise. And so as we continue to worship in this act, opening your word. May it be pleasing to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Oh man, this is this is a great, this is a great two verses. There is so much wonderful treasure packed into this. And each idea presented here really addresses something that can get very easily abused and very easily taken out of context and mishandled. So in each case, as we work through these verses, just bit by bit, idea by idea, we're going to look at, okay, what are these verses not saying? What are they actually saying? So that we understand God's word. We can apply it correctly. We can handle it correctly. We can conform or be conformed by it and submit to it. And so the first idea that you see that I really want to spend time on is his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things that pertain to life and godliness. What does he mean by this? What is he getting at? What have we been called to? We've been called to a holy life, right? Scripture, be holy as I am holy, is what we've been called to. Okay, well, have we been equipped to do this? If I hired you or asked you or told you rather, you know, if I told you, hey, Joe, I am telling you, you need to paint this room. Am I equipping Joe to paint this room? Am I giving him the paint rollers? Am I giving him the scaffolding, the tarp, the paint, right? How many of you show of hands think that if I gave Joe one gallon of paint, that would be enough to paint this room? Didn't think so. So if I gave Joe a gallon of paint. If I was like, Joe, paint this room. And he said, yep, you got it. And he shows up. Here's your gallon of paint. What is Joe going to say to me? Uh, dude, I, I need more paint. 
Why? Because what I gave him was not enough. So here's the danger. When the church says, hey, we need more Holy Spirit. We need more revelation. No, we need to more fully submit to the fullness of what we've been given. When we became believers, when we were indwelt with the Holy Spirit, it wasn't 90%. When I became a believer and professed Jesus as Lord and I am indwelt with the Holy Spirit, God didn't say, okay, you get 90% of the Holy Spirit and then later on in life, ask for more and I'll give you the final 10%. He didn't say, hey, here's 98% of my word. And then, you know, later on, ask for more and I'll give you the final 2% of my word. No, he gave us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Consider these passages, these scriptures. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, by God. John 7, 38 and 39, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said, he being Jesus, now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Acts 2, 38 and 39, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. Ephesians 1.13, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The fullness of the Holy Spirit. The triune God. Not a lesser portion. Not something where you need to say, God, you did not give me enough of the Holy Spirit. So you need to give me more. No, it's God, you gave me the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I need to submit to Him more. I need to be shaped by Him more. I need to learn to walk in step with Him more. The issue is not with what God supplied, is with our response to it. We have fellowship with Jesus, perfect fellowship. What was that phrase that we saw again that we saw last week? His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. We studied this phrase through the knowledge of Him last week, which Peter already repeated in the introduction. This isn't shallow, superficial knowledge. This isn't just memorization. This isn't going through the motions. This isn't an outward show that looks nice, but is dead inside. This is real, personal, intimate life. This is walking with, this is knowing, this is conforming to, obeying, submitting to. Matthew 7, 21, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. This knowledge of Jesus that must be at the heart of our pursuit. And if you want to hear more about it, go listen to the sermon from last week. This has to drive us. It, can, it cannot be just trite going through the motions. I mean, if you're here this morning because that's what you do on a Sunday, go home. God says that in Malachi. God says, I would rather you shut the doors of the temple than insult me with half-hearted offerings. 
God has no interest in his people going through the motions just so they look good. God wants genuine. God wants real. God deserves genuine. God is owed real. Philippians 1, 9 through 11. What do we see? And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Colossians 1, 9-11 And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. We have all things that pertain to life and godliness because we have fellowship with Jesus. And we have Scripture. We have the sufficiency of Scripture to submit to, to learn from. Consider Galatians 1, 6-9. through 9. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Dan Richter used one of my favorite analogies, and he used it to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. He used it to talk about Scripture. But he used one of my favorite analogies I've ever heard talking about how we approach God. It's a smoothie, not a salad. You don't get to eat around the parts you don't like. You don't get to pick out what you like and pick out what you do. It's all of it. If I say, I'm going to preach this except for that one chapter that makes people uncomfortable then I'm preaching a different gospel. Let me be accursed. This is what we've been given. 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All things that pertain to life and godliness. I say it again. The question is not, or rather the request is not, Lord, give me more, but Lord, teach me to more fully submit to the fullness of what you have given. This isn't to say God doesn't speak to us today. 
This is to say that when we approach him with the idea of, Lord, give me more Holy Spirit, no, I've got the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Lord, give me more revelation. No, I have your revelation. Lord, teach me to yield to it. We have been granted all things that pertain to life and godliness. What a privilege. What a joy. What a treasure. A treasure beyond calculation. What an honor it is to have these things. The right to be in the family of God. To have the Holy Spirit teach us as we open Scripture. Come on. That's awesome. Peter reminds the church of this. And then he goes on and he says something else related to this that again gets distorted and abused. What does he say? He says, granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Of the divine nature. Partakers of the divine nature. We do not become little gods. We are not equal to God in authority and power. We do not become little gods walking this earth. God and God alone is God and God alone. So what does he mean when he says partakers of the divine nature? As he's talking about this idea of promises and his excellent promises. Well, let's go to scripture to understand. 1 Peter 1.23, which we already studied in the last in, in the series on 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1.23, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Ephesians 4.24, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. See, we become new creatures. That's the promise. We become new creatures indwelt by the Holy Spirit, promised a glorified body, promised eternal life. John 14, or, uh, 14, 17 through 20, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells in, with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Do you hear how many promises were in those verses alone? Hebrews 12.10, For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. Philippians 3, 20 and 21, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And then 1 John 3, 1 through 3, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. 
Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. These are the promises of God. This is what He has granted to us. This is the participation in the divine nature. There are churches and religions that claim to be Christian, but that teach that we become totally on level with God. Guys, that's just not scripture. That's not in here. But if I don't know this, I won't recognize it. Because it's easy to twist this stuff. Whoa, wait a minute. The Bible says we become participants of the divine nature. It talks about it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Yeah, I mean, me and God, we're same page. We're same level. I'm quoting scripture to you. Okay, do you know the entirety of it? Do you know the context of it? We have to understand these things so that when it talks about this, we can say, no, this is what it's really getting at. It's important that we engage with this stuff so that we can stand firmly in truth. This stuff matters. Peter is writing to a church that just got done with external threat and external persecution, and now the problems come from inside. Paul talks about this in Acts. Paul writes about this in 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus, Jude. You look throughout Scripture and you see that the problem comes from inside the house. So we have to be ready today. We have to know these things. We have to stand on these things. 26% of evangelical Christians say that the Bible is the same as all other ancient religious texts. Full of interesting myths, but not literally true. That's a quarter of evangelical Christians say, yeah, there's no truth in this. It's just full of interesting stories. Guys, we've talked about this time and time again. If you've missed those talks where we have looked at the truth of Scripture, come find me afterwards. But if I say that this is true, then I have to conform to it, and I have to submit to it, and I have to know it. Jesus, in his last times with the disciples, prayed, Lord, sanctify them. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. This is what we stand on. This is what we insist on. This is what we submit to. This is what we learn from. Peter lays it out for the church. And then he comes to the final phrase in this section of the letter. He says, So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And again, this is a verse that gets abused. So what is this verse not saying? This verse is not talking about suppressionism. Maybe you've heard this term before, maybe you haven't. If you haven't, suppressionism is the theology, the belief system, that we are never really free from sin. You just kind of push it down through sheer effort and behavioral modification. 
So the best you can do is just kind of keep it at bay behind the door. But there's no victory. And that just comes through our own effort, right? Just, just white-knuckle your way, and you can. that's how you beat sin. No. I mean, look at Romans 7, look at Hebrews 10, look at Hebrews 13. Fighting sin in our own power is going to lead to defeat every single time. Scripture lays this out. So this is not talking about suppressionism. This verse is also not talking about perfectionism or eradicationism. You also hear eradicationism talking about some other theologies. But in this case, eradicationism, perfectionism, believers don't sin. I'm a believer. I got saved when I was four. I have not sinned since I was four. That is not what this verse is saying. I, man, I hate to burst your bubble. But please talk to me afterwards if, if this is your interpretation of the verse. But this verse is not saying that. Consider 1 John 1. Consider 1 John 3. Scripture does not lay out either of these two false teachings. So what is this verse actually saying? Having escaped from the corruption. Well, let's put it all together. Put it all together. Every idea we've looked at. He's granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We are participants in the divine nature. So we've been called to holiness. We've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. So if he calls me to holiness, and it's through Jesus alone, then what does that mean? Well, it means that fighting sin, victory over sin, comes through Christ and Christ alone. And through Christ, through his redeeming work, through his regenerative work, through the new heart that I've been given, the heart of stone is taken out. The heart of flesh has replaced it. We have gone from death to life. So I am no longer a slave to sin. Believer, you are no longer a slave to sin. You are no longer under the dominion of sin. You are no longer bound to sin. Scripture lays this out. Romans 6. Man, if you're someone who struggles with negativity, if you're someone who struggles with cynicism, if you're someone who struggles with doubt, with shame, with that crippling fear that things will never get better, guys, tattoo Romans 6 on your forehead so that you see it every morning in the mirror. Listen to these verses. Starting in verse 5, actually. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. 
Amen. I'm going to be tempted. You're going to be tempted. I'm going to mess up in sin. You're going to mess up in sin. But sin does not have dominion over you. Sin does not have you in shackles. Sin does not have you in chains. Jesus broke this. So we have escaped from the corruption through His blood alone. This is life. This is freedom. Now the Spirit of the Lord is freedom, and where the Spirit is, there is freedom. It is for freedom's sake that He has set you free. This is what this passage is actually saying. That there's victory in Christ. Not that we're perfect. Not that we can do it on our own. But that it all comes back to Jesus. And in Jesus there is salvation. In Jesus there is triumph. This is the blessed assurance of the believer. 1 John 1.9, when we sin, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us. So even in the moments where we sin, there's still victory and joy because we know there's forgiveness. Man, it's beautiful. All things that pertain to life and godliness have been granted to us. Galatians 5 and 6, walk in step with the Spirit. It's been given to us. Are we going to respond to it? Are we going to respond appropriately? Are we going to respond submissively? Are we going to pursue the calling we've been called to? One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining to what lies ahead, I set my eyes on Christ. I pursue the upward call for the prize of Christ Jesus. I set aside sin that so easily entangles, and I run the race with perseverance. This is the calling. This is the privilege of the believer. We've been filled with the Holy Spirit. We have communion with Christ. We have God's Word. Let's walk in it. So as we consider these things this week, let's read John 14 and 15. I understand, women, you're reading through Colossians. I don't want to tack too much on there. Men, if you want to get a jump start and start reading through 1 Timothy, go for it. That's what we're going to be studying next, week, next month starting. So let's read John 14 and 15 with these ideas in mind, these lessons in mind. See them in Scripture. Apply the Acts model of prayer. How does this lead me to praise God? How does this lead me to confess to God? How does this lead me to thank God? How does this lead me to make requests of God? And then for the imitate Christ part, consider John 17, how Jesus prayed for the church. So pray for the church. Pray for Community Bible Church. Look around. Study the faces of the people you see. Pray for them. Pray for their faith. Pray for their witness. Please join me in prayer.
Lord, we thank you that you have granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Forgive us for when we pretend that's not enough. Forgive us for when we deny the sufficiency of your word. Forgive us for when we choose not to submit to your word. Lord, we want to be in step with you. Where you go, we want to go. We want to see you magnified, you lifted high, you glorified. We want to be holy like you are holy. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Your perfect, beautiful grace. Father, fill your church and lead your church. Purify your bride. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand to close. Hey everyone, Pastor Sam here. Thanks for joining us for a Sunday sermon. If you're interested in more of the sermons from this series or some of our past sermon series that we've done, you can find them at discovercommunity.org under the sermon file. Uh, otherwise, you can subscribe to this channel to make sure you stay up to date on all our content. Thanks for joining us.